Thank you for downloading and listening to the Briam Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Briam Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Not too long ago, uh, somebody asked, uh, one of Teresa's friends asked her, are they going to have that baseball game again this summer? You know, that one where Pastor Kevin tries to kill Pastor Jim. <laughs> and I say, yeah, we're going to have that. I want, you know, I want you to come, Kevin, and not worry about anything. Just relax. I know a couple weeks ago I mentioned that um, I will choose a time and place to respond when Gary verbally assaulted me from the pulpit here. But that only applies to verbal assaults from the pulpit. Attempts in my life, it's different. I, that's, uh, I turn the other cheek on that one, okay? Okay, all right, thank you. Okay, um, this is the month for journeys. I mean, all summer is, but August is a late July, August, a big month for uh, taking journeys. I see Roy and his grandson are back from Israel, and they were there. How long were you there? Over three weeks. So they returned uh, back from Israel. I'm looking forward to hearing some, uh, hearing some report from that. Uh, Claude, Dr. Claude McCoy is leaving this week to journey to Florida with his wife to live there, the Gulf Coast. Uh, so we'll miss you, Claude, and we'll look forward to having you come back and visit. Although after six weeks this time of year in the Gulf Coast, uh, you might be back. Who knows? We'll see. You know? <laughs> We're going to miss you. Uh, Bob mentioned me this morning there after next week, I'm going to be traveling to Africa and England and, uh, we'll pray for God's, uh, blessing on them. Where are they? Uh, Bob, where are you just pointing out? There he is back there. Sorry, you're looking at the wrong place here. And, uh, you guys are traveling back for a wedding to Michigan. Pastor Kevin and Candace will be going back as well for Nikki's wedding in Michigan. So this is the month for journeys. And so we're going to take a journey during the month of August, uh, in our sermon portion of our service. And we are going to join the Apostle Paul on his second missionary journey for five weeks. And on this second missionary journey, we are going to each week uh, consider Paul's ministry in very important cities. These are cities that you will recognize because these are cities that he writes letters to or commends for various reasons and mentions in the, in the scriptures. And um, so we're going to do this for the next five weeks. And remember, uh, we have, including this week, five weeks of 10 o'clock service. We go through Labor Day weekend, and this year it's late. So on the, that first Sunday in September is late this year, but we'll still meet at 10 o'clock for that Sunday, okay? So I'd like to ask you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 16. I, I appreciate, the, of course, the music and worship today. Uh, the, the song we sang on... No one like Jesus. It was this time of year, almost this week, I think, in 1998, that Teresa and I traveled to Africa, to Zambia, with a team from Spokane. And we were there to do teaching and uh, leading in the pastor's workshop. And I remember coming into the church the first day, and it was the building, some of the walls were up, the roof wasn't on, and they were waiting patiently because we were delayed, and we got there almost at dusk. And I remember uh, sitting in that group, and uh, we sang that song. And did the motions. And uh, that's the first place I learned that song was in Zambia in 1998. So it's fun to sing that. And I remember that and our brothers and sisters there. And as we, as we consider this portion of Scripture, this portion of Scripture has a lot to do with mission work. Sharing the gospel. Planting churches. Strengthening churches. Strengthening believers. Both around the world and here in our own community. And our church is deeply committed to missions, as you know and also to our own community. So this is very appropriate. 
as we look at this passage. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, as we open your word, again, it's our prayer that, as always, Lord, that your words will be focused on this morning. Uh, my comments, our thoughts together will be uh, circled around uh, the, the center, the heart will be your word. And so we just pray for the next few moments you'll enable us to consider your word, to contemplate it, and by doing so to continue to worship you and contemplate you, your great plan of salvation, and the wonderful uh, commission we've been given as your family to spread this gospel. And we pray this in our Savior's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So in Acts chapter 16, um, if you had opportunity this week, I know someone mentioned me, I took time to read it, I put it in the weekly email. It follows, of course, chapter 15. Chapter 15 is well known for the Jerusalem Council. So if you want to get a little more background, I'd encourage you to take a little time and read that as well. I'm not going to do that this morning. And also at the end of chapter 15 is where we have the Apostle Paul and Barnabas uh, parting ways over a discussion whether to take John Mark with them or not. And you'll notice then verse 40 of chapter 15, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. He went through serious Cilicia, strengthening churches. He came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was a Jewess and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The brothers at Lystra and Iconium, in chapter 16, verse 2, spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take him along the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. Now, I want you to notice this phrase. We'll come back to this at the very last of this uh, series. Um, Cameron's going to be uh, sharing this particular Sunday on Labor Day weekend. And this theme here, the churches were strengthened in the faith and they grew daily in number. This is... Um, the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. He's journeyed once. They've gone down to Jerusalem for the council. They've come back, and they've decided to go back. I didn't read in verse 36 of chapter 15. Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns. That's the genesis of the second missionary journey. And then Paul and Barnabas split up. So Paul takes Silas with them, and Timothy joins them. And you will notice in this section that I'm reading, you will notice all of a sudden we're going to change uh, from, from, you know, the, the, Paul and his, you know, he did this, they did this, to a us and a we. We did this, us. And many, many um, Bible teachers and authors and scholars believe that this is where Luke joins them. Because Luke was the author of the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts that we change now to we. And so it's very likely that Luke has now joined them maybe right in this area here where we're talking about as we begin this section where they begin their ministry in Europe. So verse 6, Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region, I want you to notice now, of Phrygia and Galatia. And I'm going to stop right here and we'll put up um, a map. I think I'll put up a map. Thank you. And um, so this is a map of Paul's second missionary journey. And I just wanted to give you a little reference point on this. Of course, here's Jerusalem, where the Jerusalem Council was. They traveled back up to Antioch. Antioch up there is where the, um, the, the, the church is really, this is where the ministry and the mission is headquartered. This is the sending church. We are a sending church in the sense that 
we send missionaries around the world, okay? So along with GMI and TCM and other groups, we are a sending group. Antioch was the sending group. This was their home base where they traveled from. And it was here that, they, that Paul and Barnabas split up, and Barnabas goes to Cyprus. Paul and Silas begins his journey. So let's go back and visit these churches. This region right in here was the region of the first missionary journey that Paul made, where he went out, established churches, places like he visited his own hometown of Tarsus. This is the area known as Galatia. Of course, this is modern-day Turkey. In Bible times, it's referred to as Asia Minor. And, of course, that is because it is part of the Asian continent, okay? And it's, the, and it's Asia Minor. So, Paul, they begin their journey here, and they revisit these churches, build up the believers, his Cilicia and uh, Lystra, and they're going to move over this way. We'll leave it kind of dark for me minute. I'm not done with the map yet. You'll notice here that um, it says here they traveled through Galatia. And then in, I'm in the middle of, let's go back to verse 6, right in the middle. Having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia, when they came to the border of Myasia, they tried to enter Bithynia. But the Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit, of, or the Spirit of Jesus, and it's capitalized, where there's the Holy Spirit, the Trinity, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Trinity, would not allow them to. So they passed by Myasia and went down to Troas. So what's happening here on the map is they tried to go into Asia, of course, which is Asia Minor, this area here. They wanted to, Paul and Silas wanted to travel in this main area of Asia Minor. The Holy Spirit would not let them do that. However it happened, we don't know. But God closed the doors, we say. It was, they, were, they were restrained from going to that area. God says, no, you, you can't go there. They knew it. They were sensitive to this. They knew it. So instead, they tried to go to Bithynia, which is up here. They tried to go to north, up in this area up here, up by the Black Sea. And that was going to be their destination, to minister and plant churches in Bithynia. God said, no, you're not going there. You, you can't go there either. So the doors were closed to everything, what they had planned to do. They were restrained by the Spirit from doing something they felt God wanted them to do. And instead, they go to Troas, which is right here on the coast. This is the farthest western point of the Asian continent, Troas, right here. And it's from Troas, then, that we read. Um, we go back to where we, we left off here. And it says that as they, they, they came to they pass by my Asia, verse 8, they came to Troas during the night. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. They had no intention of going to Greece, to Macedonia, to Europe. They had no intention of doing that. And it was like a shock. And they got this vision from Troas and a man of Macedonia saying, come over here and preach to us. And so they concluded, they together decided that they would set sail from Troas by boat and travel to Macedonia. And our story today is going to take place here in the city of Philippi. Thanks, Cliff. And so it's here that, that, that we begin this ministry in Europe. And I know I mentioned this this summer when we were talking about citizenship because this is the place that was a, that, this is an interesting area. This, for those of you that maybe have a little bit of interest in, uh, you know, old world history, it was, is actually here in 42 BC. 
where Mark Antony and Octavian defeated Octavian later to become Augustus, Caesar Augustus. You recognize that, of course, from Christmas time. That Antony and Augustus, Octavian, defeated Brutus and Caius. Uh, Cassius, Brutus and Cassius. And we really decided the fate of the Roman world. There, was, there were two Roman armies. It was a civil war a type thing. They fought each other. And the, the future of Rome and the world, in a sense, was decided right there, uh, right near Philippi, where this story takes place. And in fact, where this story takes place today, um, Paul and his, his companions would have traveled right through this battlefield across the river uh, to be where this event takes place in Philippians. So in, in Philippians, I mean, at Philippi. So in Acts chapter 16, they, they travel over there. So verse 11, from Troas, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. From the next day on to Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city at that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. And this is because it was this battle that decided the fate of the Roman Empire that many of the generals and soldiers settled down in this city, and it became an official Roman colony, and the, and the people of this city became Roman citizens. A very important place in world history. So, verse 13. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. This is the last part of our background of this, this story this morning, a, little, a story of, of two uh, people who passed from death to life who come to Christ. And the background of the story is that according to Jewish law, you need to have ten families to comprise a synagogue. And that meant you had to have ten men. You had to have ten heads of household. You had to have ten fathers or grandfathers who were ahead of a household to legally call yourself a synagogue and to, and to have a synagogue established in a city. The reason they are out there by the river is because evidently they don't have ten heads of Jewish families in Philippi. And because of that, they do not have a legitimate, if you will, synagogue. And so what's happening is, and this happens often in, in Jewish tradition, they will go out by the water, out by the river, and so they go to the river, and they have an informal, if you will, synagogue, and a synagogue service. And they, you notice that he goes there to, to expecting to find a place of prayer, because that is what the synagogue service was. The synagogue service, in our early, the early church patterned its service after the synagogue service, that to gather together and to worship and pray, to gather together and hear passages of Scripture read, and have somebody comment on the scriptures as they asked Jesus when he came to his own hometown and said, and he, and he, and he, and he stood up and he, and he read and he commented on the scriptures that were the reading for that day. It's primarily composed, comprised of women. You notice this. These are women who are gathering. This, this is a Jewish informal synagogue primarily of women. I mean, it's only mentioned of women that have gathered together to pray. So the Jewish community in this, in this town is, is very small, and the women have gathered together to pray, uh, probably to also have a place to nurture their children and, 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 to, and to continue this tradition. And you'll notice there, as they do this, so Paul, Paul goes out and finds them. Paul comes in town. He, you know, remember, Paul was, his calling was, and we call him, he was the apostle to who? 
to Gentiles. He, he flat out says that in his letter to the Galatians. He says, just as Peter was the apostle to the circumcision, the Jews, I was called to be the apostle to the uncircumcision, the Gentiles. He flat out says that. That was his calling. In fact, he was told when he was saved, you, you are going to be, Ananias was said, when you, when you see Saul and, and anoint him and his eyes were open, he is my special tool to take the gospel to the Gentile world. Yet every place Paul went, where's the first place he goes? To the synagogue. He goes to the synagogue. And he goes to the synagogue because it's the most natural place to begin his work. He's the apostle to the Gentile world, but that Gentile world includes Jews and Gentiles. And it's there in the, in the Gentile world that he finds a place where there are people who believe in the same God, they believe in the scriptures, and they speak the same language, and they would accept Saul as a Pharisee to, to preach to them. So it makes sense. So he comes to town and he searches out where the, where the Jews gather. In this case, it's by the river. And so he comes there and he, and he preaches to them. He speaks to them. He goes to this group of women and he starts speaking. What would he speak? What, what Paul always, as far as the pattern we see, he goes to the Old Testament. That's the only scriptures they have at this time. And he shows them that the Messiah has to suffer, that he has to come and suffer. This, and this was not clearly understood by the Jews or believed by them at this point. But he has to come, he has to suffer and die for their sins and rise from the dead to conquer death. Jesus Christ fulfilled this. He is the Messiah. He is offering salvation to everybody, Jew and Gentile, through simple faith in what he did on the cross of Calvary where he carried God's punishment for our sin, for humanity's sin on the cross of Calvary. And I'm sure this is what he is teaching. Now, we might think, well, these stories where people accept this and believe this, they thought about it and made sense. But you have to understand, he also, every place he went, had severe opposition. This is completely contrary completely contrary to anything they have ever been taught. The Messiah was not going to suffer. The Messiah was going to come and reign. It was going to be a glorious day to be crucified in a Roman. And this is a Roman city. This is a Roman colony. This is like Rome itself. This, this is the most hideous, disrespectful, disgusting way for anybody to die. It might be akin today to be, you know, lined up and, and shot multiple times by a firing squad. It was disgusting. It was, it was horrible. It was reserved for the worst of the criminals. This cuts across anything they'd ever been taught. And there's not much chance from a human perspective that this is going to be embraced on first hearing. Verse 14. One of those women listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in the purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. So the first, the first point I want to make this morning is that the Apostle Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke, the, the first point I want to make today is they showed up. They came to town and they, they, they went and they showed up. They went and found the place to be, and they were there. They weren't given a lot of instruction. The man of Macedonia says, come over here and preach the gospel. So they launch out and they go there. Where do they preach the gospel? They look for the place that's most natural, the place that fits most with who they are and what they do, and they go there and they, they show up. And they show up and they tell about Jesus. 
That's what they do. It's very simple. They came. They were there. They shared themselves. They risked it. And they talked about Jesus Christ and shared the gospel. We sat down, began to speak. And one of the ladies who was listening was a lady named Lydia. And this little detail about a, a dealer in purple cloth. And say, well, what's, you know, okay, so, you know. Well, if you've ever noticed any pictures of historical paintings and drawings or even movies about Roman life and so forth, Ben-Hur and things like this even, you will notice that oftentimes the Roman royalty, the wealthy people, the upper class, wear purple or purple fringe on their clothes. And that's because purple was rare and expensive. This dye that was used for purple was actually a, a drop. There would be one drop of this purple in the deep part throat of a particular shellfish. So out of each shellfish you harvested, sort of like a pearl, you know, you would get one drop of this purple. It was rare. And because it was rare and it was costly, uh, it became symbolic with wealthy people and royalty. And so that's the significance here. She herself, uh, some of the commentators made the point that she herself may have been well off financially because of this business, but she still may have been considered kind of lower class because this was hard work. It was dirty work. And, um, and, and, and she did well by it. She's, she has enough money to have a house where people can come and gather, which is significant. So this is her business. And you'll notice also it says specifically in this verse, she was a worshiper of God. This is Luke's normal term for a Gentile who has either become a proselyte, converted to Judaism, or is very close to it. This is his normal term for this. So the odds are this is a Gentile lady, not even a Jew, who is gathered with this Jewish community of other Jews and Gentiles who are attracted to Judaism, of women. She's a dealer in the purple cloth. And she is there and she's listening to the apostle who has showed up and is sharing Jesus Christ with her. Now notice the next, just the next phrase here. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. We have here a, a case study in salvation. We have a case study in sharing the gospel. The Lord opened her heart. It just says this a few times in the book of Acts. But this is very important. The Lord opened her heart. And you notice, he opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. The odds are she was not going to respond. How could she? How could she in one hearing? How could she do this? How could she in just one hearing of everything she has learned, everything that has attracted her to Judaism, everything about the hope of the Messiah, one rabbi comes, one former Pharisee comes, and shares this, this radical message, and she accepts it. Why? Because the Lord opened her heart. You know, this fits with Scripture from 1 Corinthians, where Paul says, the person without the Spirit, the person without the Holy Spirit, does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness, foolishness, and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. 
This is, a, this is one of Paul's early epistles. And this, this is a, a proclamation that, you know, if people reject the message of Jesus Christ, you have to understand that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that, that, that somehow somebody could die and pay for my sins and, and I can just receive that and receive eternal life. It doesn't make sense. The Bible says clearly here that the Holy Spirit has to open their heart to receive the message of Jesus Christ. And friends, I want to tell you, this is my second point today. The first, the first point is the Apostle Paul showed up and he shared Jesus. He did what he was called to do. He did what he was called to do. And there were a lot of people who not only rejected it, but persecuted him. He suffered and he and his traveling companions suffered every place they went. But every place, and they began, and they, and they learned to expect this. But the Apostle Paul also learned to expect that God would open the hearts and they would come to Christ. And I just want to tell you, I, I don't see any, anything in Scripture that tells me differently that this is the same thing that happens today. Now, I know there are different views in the Christian world and in theology and in, even in this room here. There are different views that we call election and predestination and so forth. Whatever your view on that is, I think we can all agree on this starting point. That for someone to come to Christ, God has to open their heart. They have to hear it. And it might make sense. It may not make sense. But at some point, the Holy Spirit has to open their mind and their heart so that they have the ability to embrace it and accept. That's what happened to you if you know Christ as Savior. That's what happened to me as a young child. I didn't know an awful lot about what was going on. I grew up in church, but all of a sudden there, there came the point, and I remember it clear as can be because of the age I was. Some of you were even younger than you can even remember some of these. We have kids here who have received Christ very early. The Bible says that. You come as a child. But my heart was opened, and, and I received it. Because the Holy Spirit opened my heart to the message. And that's our second point this morning. The Holy Spirit, God himself, will open hearts to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And she received it. And look what it says in verse 15. When she and the members of her household. Now, I, when we talked about this with the Philippian jailer we'll mention in a minute. And I had a good question afterward. Why, what, why does it say that? She or he and his household. Did that mean that if she was converted, everybody in her house was automatically converted? No, I think the implication is that the message went to those and those that heard it, in this case her family, God opened their heart and they responded as well. There is no automatic just because you belong to a family. But they heard it too. And they, her whole household heard it. They were all baptized and invited to her home. And she said, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, Come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. And we'll talk more about this, about the ministry of follow-up, of nurture, of strengthening. Paul didn't just preach the gospel and leave unless he was forced out and had to. But whether he stayed or he appointed elders and leaders, he made sure that there was follow-up, there was nurture, there was discipleship, there was growth. And people grew in their walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. They started out with baby steps. And if you're afraid, if you're afraid, to, to, if maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart. Maybe you're here today. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart and opening your heart to this message. Maybe you don't understand all of it. And maybe you're afraid that you don't know enough to really make it credible to receive Christ as Savior. 
Uh, we're going to talk about that in just a minute. What, but, but listen, friends, this is part of the, this is part of the growth after you, it's like, that's why it's called new birth. You know, a, a baby is born, they're not born an adult. They're born a baby, but you don't want them to stay a baby. But they grow, they mature, they are nurtured. And this is a huge part of the apostolic ministry of the apostles and the missionaries. And it's, it's what we do today. Well, you can take time to read this, what happens, how Paul ends up in jail. But Paul and Silas do end up in jail in Philippi, in this city they're at. The first place they're called, they obey God. They do what they're supposed to do. They were restrained from going here. They were constrained to go there. They follow God. They obey God. And it ended up with a terrible beating and in jail for, for serving God. And that night, uh, this is the story of the Philippian jailer. And they were at the end of verse 25, 24, upon receiving the orders, the jailer, who the jailers in the Roman world, incidentally, uh, Philo, the Jewish historian philosopher, mentioned this. They had a reputation for being very bad people. The, the jailers had a reputation for being very cruel and very mean in the Roman, in the Roman system. That was their reputation, and it's documented in, in Roman literature. And it says, this jailer put them in the inner cell, fastened their feet in their stocks. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. We talked about this earlier in the summer. To God and other prisoners were listening to him. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. The foundation of the prison was shaken. All the prison doors flew open. Everybody's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. When he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew he would be killed. And he was, he, it was the honorable way to die if you knew you were going to be killed because he let his prisoners go and it would cost him his life. The honorable thing to do was to take your own life. And so he was going to do that. But Paul shouted out, don't harm yourself. We are all here. Paul is sensitive enough to know what's going on. He's free. He can go. But he realizes what this jailer is going to do. He says, don't do it. Don't hurt yourself. We are all here. And the jailer called for lights. Verse 29, he rushed in. Notice, look at this. Why? He fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He brought them out and he asked them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why does he even ask that? Why does he ask about salvation? I mean, obviously, they, these, these people believed in gods. They, atheism is not an issue in the first century. They, they are all religious. They all have their own gods. So the fact that a God would intervene and do a miracle, this was not something that they wouldn't accept. But why does he say, what must I do to be saved? Why didn't he just say, whoa, Paul, um, please go, I'm sorry, or let's work this out or something. He's, what must I do to be saved? Why? Because he had been listening. He had been hearing them sing. He may have heard their testimony. He heard, obviously, the message of salvation, but he didn't get it. And he said, what must I do? And his question is the same question that is the same throughout history. And it's the same today. What must I do? Because there is something in us that says this does not make sense. I have, listen, what does every, think about it. Every religion at some point teaches there is something I must do. There's got to be something I can do to, to make God accept me. What must I do? It's the most natural question. 
And the Apostle Paul's answer, and this is our third point and closing point this morning, friends. His answer is, is simply this, and, and you know it, I think many of you know it well. The Apostle Paul says to him, with his friends, in verse 31, they replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, you and your household. And this, I think, the inference is, if your household believes, they will be saved as well. The simple answer, believe. Believe it. God has opened up this man's heart, obviously, just as he did Lydia. He opened his heart. And Paul says, you believe. It's up to you. Believe or don't believe. And you will be saved. And anybody in your household will also be saved. And we have the same thing. They're brought out. They're baptized at this time because this is, this is what's going on as, as part of this time during the book of Acts. They pronounce their belief. They accept it. And Paul will leave this city. You can read the rest of the chapter, how he, we talked about this earlier in the summer, how he calls out the Roman officials and says, oh, you can just dismiss us for beating a Roman citizen. We're Roman citizens, don't you forget. It's just a good story. You read it. But the point is, they are going to leave at the end of verse 16. Then they left. And this church at Philippi, which is one of Paul's, I think, favorite groups, read the book of Philippians. Paul loves these people. Paul develops a very close relationship with the individuals and the church. The genesis of this church in Philippi are these two people. Maybe the girl in the story in between. You can read that and see what you think yourself. But at least we know these two families, a Gentile woman who was attracted to Judaism, God opened her heart because Paul and Silas, Timothy, and Luke showed up and shared the gospel. A Roman, Gentile, cruel, probably jailer who heard what they sang, heard what they said, and God opened his heart to the simple message, belief. And he did. He chose to. He accepted it. And these two families become the genesis of this church in Philippi that is such an important part of the story of the Gospels. Listen, friends, the commission of the church, the body of Christ, the believers, us today, since this message went to the Gentile world, has not changed. It has not changed. We have three very important principles that have not changed. Number one, this applies to me, and this applies to you. Wherever you are, I've told you this Often, I tell you again, God has you where he wants you for his reason. He has me where he wants me. He, has, he doesn't have me where you are and you where I am. You are in your neighborhood. You live in your apartment building. You live in your home. You live in your neighborhood. You live with your family. You work where you work. You're retired where you're retired. You're student where you're student. Everything you're going through right now is in God's hands. We don't understand that, but it's in God's hands. And what God has asked of all of us, I don't know that Saul and Paul and Timothy and Silas understood this Macedonian call, but they got it and they went. They weren't planning on it. They showed up. They went and they found the people and they opened their mouth and they shared their lives and they talked. Wherever you are this week, 
you know Jesus Christ is your Savior, you are there because God wants you there. Show up. Show up. Be there. Live your life in a way that, that, that is evidence that you love the Lord Jesus Christ. You're not perfect. I'm not perfect. But we do have the privilege and opportunity to show up and be a Christian. And when God gives us the opportunity to open our mouths and share the hope that is within us. The second principle is just as true today. We, and all is said and done, we must rely on the Holy Spirit to open a heart. We don't have to pry it open. God is better at that than we are. God will open the heart in his time. You don't know when it will be. You have no idea what's gone on in a person's life. You have no idea with that person that you're sitting across for whatever reason in your life. You have no idea what God's been doing in their life and what he may use in your life or your voice, your testimony to open their heart to the gospel because he is at work. That's up to him. Rely on the Holy Spirit. It takes a lot of pressure off you and you and me. It's not, it's, not my job to, it's not my job to change a life. It's my job to present the wonderful good news. It's God's job to change a life. And thirdly, as a believer, as a church family, let's be there to help. Let's be there to nurture. Let's be there to strengthen. Let's be here as a church family to help one another, to help each other, to help the people in our community that come to Christ. Let's support our missionaries and help those pastors. When I went to Zambia and those people we met with and sang that song that are still serving in Africa there. Let's help them. Let's do this together. Let's show up and share the gospel. Let's rely on the Holy Spirit to open a heart. And let's be there to help nurture and establish and strengthen. Two individuals who the day before had never heard the name of Christ, never heard the name of Christ evidently, who were unlikely to ever come to Christ. Lydia and the jailer miraculously passed from death to life, were born again to eternal life. As Gary and you guys coming up and lead us in our closing song, I just want to also say, if you're here today, and I've already mentioned this, and God is opening your heart to the gospel. If you're resisting because you're afraid you just don't know everything, we're here to help you. You have to take that first step. We can't do that for you. If God is opening your heart to the gospel, it's the simple message. You are a sinner. No one has to convince me I'm a sinner. No one knows it better than me. You are a sinner. You, you are fall short of God's perfect glory and perfection and sinlessness. Jesus Christ died on the cross and carried God's punishment for sin on himself and bore it. And it was horrible. We'll never ever even begin to get a glimpse of what he suffered. He was placed in the tomb, but God raised him up in victory over sin and death. And he offers you that salvation because he paid for it for you. It's a simple message. If the Holy Spirit has opened your heart to that message, friends, I say the same thing the Apostle Paul said. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You will be saved. We will help you grow. We will help you mature. We will help you learn. 
It's a wonderful life. And you know what? I'm 62 years old. I have never yet, and I'm not lying to you, I have never yet met a person, never met yet one person who regretted asking Christ to be their Savior. Amen? Let's close the service. Let's close our service and pray. Hey, thank you for coming today. Um, every Sunday, uh, you know, uh, there, there are so many places you could be, and you've chosen to come, and I just want to thank you for coming. Your presence here is a ministry and an encouragement to others, and I just trust you'll, you'll leave this place and continue to think about God's Word, the songs that we've sung, to worship Him, and to live for Him. Let's close our eyes, and we'll bow in prayer. As we do, friends, I just want to remind you once again, as we close our eyes, I don't know where God's going to take you this week. You know, it might be by the riverside. It might be a peaceful, quiet, beautiful, wonderful place by the river where it's easy to, to share, to talk. Uh, if that's where God takes you, show up and be there and share your life and be ready to share the gospel. God takes you to a difficult place. Uh, Paul and Silas ended up in prison. That's the last place they had Hope to be with this great uh, invitation to Europe. But that was their first, first experience there. They showed up in spite of it and were a testimony in the diff- most difficult place they could be. They were a testimony that God loved them, God had saved them, and they wanted everybody to know that. Wherever God takes this week, friends, show up, be ready. Never discount, never discount, never discount what the Holy Spirit is doing in someone's life, the most unlikely person to ever come to Christ. And again, as we leave this place, if you are the person today, and I'm just, if the Holy Spirit's talking to you, not me, but the Holy Spirit has been talking to you, has been talking to you, has been opening your heart, I just want to give you this moment right now in the quietness of this moment to simply say yes to God. Yes to God, I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior and I receive his payment for my sins. And I want to begin this journey as part of your family and as part of the church, the body of Christ. Our Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you for entrusting this precious gospel ministry to us. May we be faithful this week. In Christ's name we pray.